0: But Cornelius was a man that was an unusual person anyway. And he had, a good, had good relations with the people around him, and we'll, as we'll see here. But in verse 3, he saw a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming in, into him and saying unto him, Cornelius, and when he looked on him, He was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now, he was afraid. He saw this man and recognized this man as an angel. And he was afraid. And he said, What is this, you know? And... The angel says, "Thy prayers and thine alms, he, God. He had been praying to God, and God heard. And and this man gave alms. He, that's gifts to the poor. And he had a good name among the Jews, which is unusual for a Roman soldier. <laughs> Very unusual. And the angel said to him in." here in verse 5 and now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon whose name, whose surname is Peter Simon Peter and it said he lodgeth with one Simon a tanner whose house is by the seaside he shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do so this Roman soldier has a vision of an angel telling him that God has remembered him and tells him what to do. He says, send men to Joppa, which was not that far away, maybe uh, 15, 20 miles or so. I, I don't know how far it is exactly, but it, it took them less than a day to get there. But, and he said he's lodging with Simon a tanner. Whose house is by the seaside, now, whether this man can hides, which is kind of a smelly thing to do, but uh, he was a leather worker for sure, and uh, but this is where Simon Peter was staying, and and when the angel which spoke to Cornelius was departed he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. Now, he he brought these three people in. They were servants in his household and a devout uh, soldier, someone that was one of his aides right there that can continually took care of Cornelius and, and he told them what he had seen and he sent them to Joppa but they didn't leave right away They, this, this it says it was the ninth hour of the day when he had the vision that would be about three o'clock in the afternoon and they didn't travel at night most of the time that was a dangerous thing to do but They stayed overnight there at Cornelius' house and left the next morning. Verse 9 says, On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh near to the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. This is at noontime. He, He went up on the housetop to pray. And... Verse 10 says, and he became very hungry and would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance. He he saw a vision, whatever. He was up there on the housetop and saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth. So here was this, would like a bag. You pick up the four corners of a sheet and pull it up, and there was something in this. You know, you it would let down and laid out in front of Peter. And within were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, "Rise, Peter! Kill and eat." Well, here he was hungry. Maybe this was part of why. He, but God gave him this vision. And Peter says, wait a minute. Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. He was a Jew. He was a devout Jew. And Peter says, I, I don't eat that stuff. That that's that, Those are unclean animals. Uh, we don't even know what those creeping things might have been. But he said, I don't eat that stuff. And a voice spake unto him again a second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou un- uncommon or unclean. He said, if, if God cleansed it and said eat it, don't you call it unclean. And And this was done three times. Verse 16 tells you, it, it was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Well, this is strange. You know, Peter didn't eat any of that stuff in the dream, but God said, take, eat, kill it and eat it. It's, and Peter said, I can't do that. It's unclean. Right? That's against the Jewish law. And God said in that vision... What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common or unclean. You know, this was a, a term. I'm I'm sure that this word "common" is not. It it was there was a term for this in the in the Jewish language, and it was translated "common" or "unclean" here, but. While, verse 17 says, And while Peter doubted in him, in himself what this vision, which he had seen, should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry of at, for Simon's house and stood before the gate. So they came there, and as is the custom in many places, you come to the gate, and you make your presence known. You knock, or you you call out from the gate. You don't just walk in, or you don't go up to the door and knock on the door. You knock on the gate outside. And and Peter was having doubts about what this thing meant. He, he was pondering this in his mind, and he said, what can this possibly mean? And just about that time, these servants of Cornelius arrived at the gate. And they called and asked, whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodging, were lodged there. Uh, God had said, This is where you'll find him. They came and asked for him. And while Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. You know, this is interesting. He'd already had the vision, but he was up on the rooftop still. And The voice told him, Three men are are looking for you. They seek you. Arise, therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius, and said, Behold, I am he whom ye seek. What is the cause whereof ye are come? What do you come here for? Now this is an interesting thing that this voice says arise. I I knew a lady, a very devout Christian lady, and she had children. And she had a way of uh getting her children's attention when they she told them to go do something. And she used this term right here in verse 20. And if the kids would say, oh, well, I'm busy. I've got this. I'm doing this. She'd say, arise, get thee hints. <laughs> well, the kids knew at that point they would better be doing what their mom said. When she would say, arise, you <laughs> get a get up off of your tail and go do it you know and uh there, there was no questioning in their mind at that point you know they didn't ask questions they just get up they'd arise and go do it I th- and i'm sure that this is where she got that but god says get thee down and go with them don't just go down there you go with them and doubt nothing, doubting nothing, don't ask questions, because I have sent them. This is God speaking. And Peter realized this at this point, I'm sure. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent, and he said, "Why? What are you come? For? What did you come here for?" And they said, "Cornelius, the centurion, a just man and one that feareth God, and of a good report among the nation of the Jews." was warned from god by an holy angel to send for thee into this house and to bear words or to hear words of thee they said, okay peter or this man's cornelius was told to send for you at this house no this is not a coincidence <laughs> he said it's very uh, precise and and he's to, you're to go to see him and to tell him something, to hear words of thee. Then called he them in and lodged them. You know, he said, well, come on in. We, it's, it's late in the afternoon now. And on the morrow, Peter went away with them and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. So they stayed overnight there at Simon the Tanner's house and left in the morning. And during that time, Peter called for some of the other Christians, uh, brethren from, from Joppa there in the church to come with him as, as witnesses, because he, didn't, he said, I don't know what this is all about. They want me to talk to them there. But I'll I'll go find out what this is, but I, I want some witnesses to go with me. And the morrow, after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them, and had called together his kinsmen and near friends. So... Cornelius had been busy during this time too. He was looking forward to finding out what this angel that had appeared to him meant and why he was why he had been instructed to send for Simon Peter. He didn't know Simon Peter, I'm sure. But he gathered his kinsmen and his friends together, his near friends. Uh, he said, brought in his neighbors and and said hey, we're going to hear something from God here. I want you to come and, and join me. He brought these people together in his house. I imagine that Cornelius had a pretty good household, good-sized house, and, and he had servants, and, and the men of the army came and went from his house, and he gave instructions there, and he... But he called his friends together and his kinsmen, his relatives. He says, I want you to hear what this man has to say. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up saying, uh, stand up, I myself also am a man. He said, I'm, I'm just a man. You don't, don't be worshipping me. He says, that's, I mean, even if God sent for me I'm still a man I'm not I'm just God's servant and as he talked with him he went in and found many that were come together and he said unto them you know how it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or to come into one of another nation but God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Notice the association that Peter made here. He associated, he says, I should not call any man common or unclean. You know, he said, I can call these things that were in that sheet common or unclean, but God said, if I have cleansed them, don't you call them unclean. And he, he made that association that this is who, what, he, what the vision was talking about. He said he's talking about men. And so he said, God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. This is quite a concession for a Jew. It was, it was against the Jewish law for him to even be there. To even come into this man's house, and he said, "But God has shown me something else here. Therefore, came I unto you without gainsaying, without questioning, without uh, without second thought. As soon as I was sent for, so he came and he was there, and he says." I ask thee, therefore, for what are you, for what have you sent for me? Why did, why did you send for me? And Cornelius starts here in verse 30, and he gives an account of what he had experienced with his vision. Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, that is three o'clock in the afternoon, I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, and thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter, and he lodged in the house of one, he is lodged in the house of one Simon a tanner by the seaside, whom when he cometh shall speak unto thee immediately therefore I sent to thee and thou hast well done that thou art come now therefore we are all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God He, he said we want to hear what God has to say through you well Peter was brought here and he wasn't sure what he was coming there for. I'm sure he didn't prepare a sermon. (laughs) For me, I like to have notes when I preach a sermon. And they said, speak. God said, you're going to come here and you're going to tell us things. And we want to hear it. All of us are here to hear that. Hear what you have to say. We want to hear. He says, I... I want to hear what God has commanded thee to say. What has God told you to tell us? Then Peter, verse 34 says, He opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. This is a this is quite an uh, unusual statement for a Jew to make. You know, we we know that the Scripture, even in the Old Testament, says God is not a respecter of persons. And we read that back in the book of Romans. And it said in Galatians and, and Colossians and several other places that God is not a respecter of persons. He says, but in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness, is accepted with him. That, that is what Peter said. This is how he opened up his, his sermon. The word which God has sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. This, this word, the, in the Greek it says logos, the word, which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. Now he said this this word was sent to the Jews preaching Jesus Christ, and he is Lord of all. That word, I say, ye you know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. And I'm sure that everyone there knew about John and his preaching because that was well known all throughout this uh, region of Galilee and and Judea. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with with the Holy Ghost and with power and went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. He said this Jesus that came and, and healed people. He was a healer. And this, this healing was v- very well known throughout this whole region. And he says they were oppressed of the devil. they Under, under the power of the devil is what that idea means. And and we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. He He said, we were witnesses, we were eyewitnesses of what Jesus did. We saw him do these things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And this Jesus, they slew and hanged on a tree. They hung him up on a Roman cross. Him, God, raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but only unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him, After he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. And we saw him eating and drinking. And and alive. After he had died. And he commanded us to preach unto the people. And to testify. That it is he which was ordained of God. To be the judge of the quick and the dead. The living and the dead. This is. What God ordained Jesus to be, the judge of those who will live and those who die. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Forgiveness of sins. The remission means just a passing over, it's they're, they're forgiven the forgiveness of sin. And here's Peter preaching to these Gentiles in Cornelius' house, forgiveness of sins. And he says all the prophets are witness to this. They, They were witness of Jesus, that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive forgiveness of sins. That's quite a thing here. This is the first time this has been preached to the Gentiles. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost for they heard them speak with tongues and magnified God so they these Jews that came with Peter from Joppa to to Caesarea here saw this they witnessed the coming of the Holy Spirit like at the day of Pentecost and these people spoke with foreign tongues tongues that they normally could not speak they heard them speak with tongues and magnified god then answered peter can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the holy ghost as well as we he said they received the holy ghost the same as we did on the day of pentecost how can can anyone say that they shouldn't be baptized that they shouldn't be brought into the church, that they shouldn't be given full membership, association with the church. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. He wanted, they wanted him to stay there with them and to teach them more of this. And I'm sure that there was a, a church established there in Caesarea. Peter stayed there with them, and I, I don't know, probably the other people that came down with him. And, and they taught these Gentiles. This was the first time that this was allowed, ever. And God is the one who directed it. He sent two visions, one to Cornelius and one to Peter, and brought these two men together. And both of them being devout men, saw God working. Peter said, I I perceived." That God is no respecter of persons. Wow. There, there you have
1: it too. You have the the, the Spirit working. Yes. The spirit works to convict those outside of Christ to bring to bring them near, but they have to be willing to listen to the Spirit. Yes. There. And then the Spirit working through a brother there administering the you know what was what was
0: the word of salvation yeah you know, yeah to
1: bring salvation there so you know you have you have two you have two sides of that most people we, we forget sometimes about the spirit of conviction outside yes. whereas it's not us that provides the conviction when we're speaking to somebody it's
0: it's the, the holy Lord, spirit
1: the, the holy spirit convicting them so absolutely can we can't we alone can't save them it's, no the Lord that
0: does the convicting and the saving. Yes. And I I can I can attest to that myself when I was saved. I heard a lot of preaching and I I was under conviction for a long time. But it was God that spoke to me one night. I I was on a hilltop. We were out in the country, and I was outside at night, and I saw it was it was a cold night, by the way, the the weeds were sticking up through a some two or three day old snow, and and it was it was a cold, brilliant night. the a full moon that night, and it was absolutely gorgeous. You could see the mountains there. I, this is near Golden, Colorado. And and i I came under conviction there, not in the church, not while the preacher was preaching to me, but God was convicting me. God convicted my heart, and I gave myself to god and and I've never been sorry for that since ever and God has blessed me i I know it was God's god at work you know because i've been under conviction for a long time and hadn't gone forward to to be saved in church but i was convicted that night by god's spirit that showed me that that god is faithful in all things that he does i it's interesting that tyler put this up on the board there in blue it says be still and know that i am god That's what happened to me that night. That's what happened to me. I knew that there was no other God. And there was no way for me to be free of sin. I was a young man. I wasn't an old man like I am now. (laughs) But I'm not sorry. I'm, I'm glad that God worked in my heart and convicted me. In every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. This is the conclusion that Peter came to there in verse 35. That God isn't a respecter of persons. He doesn't respect your nationality, the color of your skin, uh, of who your, who your parentage was. It doesn't matter. It, he doesn't care how much gold or land or livestock you might own it doesn't matter none of that does it's your heart condition that's what matters and verse 40, 44 i'd like to draw that to your attention here it says while peter yet spake these words the holy ghost fell on all them which heard the word heard the word those who they didn't just listen they were eager to hear. And they had come together to hear what God had to say to them as Gentiles. Here in this soldier's home, this, this officer's home. And, and they received with gladness the Holy Spirit. And, and they spoke with tongues and they praised God. And then Peter says, Wow, can any, can any of us deny that God has worked here? Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized? Is there any reason why these Gentiles shouldn't be baptized into the church? Baptism was the door into the church. And it is to this day. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they prayed to him. They, said, they asked him to tarry certain days. They, they said, stay a while. Don't, don't leave. We want to hear more of this. Tell us more. And that was an exciting time. Exciting for, for Peter... He, he was called to do something, spur of the moment here. And now they, he knew he was going down there and, and that they wanted him, there, there was something that they wanted from him. But he, he brought to them something that was a gift from God. He said, this is not just the working of man here. This is God working, and God has sent his Holy Spirit onto these Gentiles as much as he has onto us as Jews. He said, what, what should keep them from being brought into the church? Now, Peter was called on the carpet when he went back to Jerusalem later. <laughs> and they said, what is this? What, what's going on here, Peter? You, you not only went into this, this Gentile's house but you baptize these Gentiles? Well, God directed their hearts too. And he, he explained these visions. And he says, who am I to resist God? This was his response, and that's in chapter 11. But who am I to resist God? It's the question he asked them. And they couldn't argue with God either. <laughs> you know, I wonder if we sometimes aren't blind to the opportunities that we have. Peter was going down there. He had, had no idea why they were calling him down there to Caesarea. This was a an area where the Jews really didn't live usually. Joppa was fine. That was a little little town. But Caesarea, this was uh, a place where a lot of high-ranking Romans lived. But Cornelius was excited by this vision. And he not only was excited... he being a devout man, he had relations with the, with his neighbors and and with the people of his company. Whether you know, I don't know how many people were under him. A centurion gives the idea of a, a hundred men, maybe more. We don't know, but they came in and they received the Holy Ghost and they received eagerly. That's why they came there to hear. I wonder how many people are out there in the world that are eager to hear the things that we have to tell them, you and I, those of us who have come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, how much, how many opportunities do we miss? Peter wasn't looking for an opportunity, he was staying here with Simon the Tanner in Joppa, but... God called him. God called him away to, to serve him in this special way. I wonder how, how far do we go to preach God's word and how, how many opportunities do we miss? Let's look for those opportunities to teach others what God has taught us. That they might receive the free pardon of sin as we did And that God's Spirit convicting them, we need to be looking for those opportunities to teach them, to help them, and to bring them into the church, that they might be baptized also. Thank you.
1: All right. Next is chapter 3 and verse 22. <clears throat> it says, But every woman shall borrow of her neighbor and of her that sojourneth in her house jewels of silver, jewels of gold, and raiment, and ye shall put them upon your sons and upon your daughters, and ye shall spoil the Egyptians. Weird, uh, it's just an odd verse to to start with, but we're building context. We're looking at um, who is our neighbor and what do we have to do with them? But to build this, this is the first mention there, it seems, in the scripture of what a neighbor is. So looking at that word neighbor there, that word means uh, reah, which means brother, companion, fellow, friend, husband, lover, neighbor, or another. So just to build some context there that is the definition of this word that we read in, in uh, Exodus chapter 3 and verse 22. We'll also uh, go into scripture to Exodus chapter 11 and verse 2. There's a couple of different words that they use in the Old Testament to describe what a neighbor is. Of course we know with with language and with historically with the language, uh, of the Jews and of the Greeks, that they had more numerous words to describe something, a relationship with something, than we do in the English language, where we use one word across many contexts, so you have to know the context of the language there. So, a little bit of a language lesson this morning. Of course, y'all know I'm not an English teacher, and I'm not very strong in my English skills, my wife will tell you, um, but these passage of scripture will help us build a context for what we're going to look at this morning. So again, in uh, Exodus chapter 11 and verse two, it says, there speak now in the ears of the people and let every man borrow of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor, jewels of silver and, and of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was great, uh, very great in the land of Egypt and in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. So again, here we have the same word neighbor, but it's a different a different word. It's shakin, which it looks like shaken. Um, and it means resident or fellow citizen or inhabitant. So it kind of changes your context there of what you're looking at in terms of a neighbor. Um, so we had a companion that we mentioned in that first passage there in, in, in Exodus. And then, of course, here it says resident or fellow citizen. So they borrowed from their neighbors. Doesn't mean that it was necessarily Hebrew. It was, could have been Egyptian. It could have been any other uh, migrant there in the community. So let's look at um, Exodus chapter 32 and verse 37. And I know it's a little bit of jumping around, but it helps us to build the context a little better for what we're looking at. Exodus 32 and 37 Maybe I wrote that down wrong because there's no 37 in that chapter. (laughs) So, um, the verse that I had mentioned there um, uses the term karab, which means neighbor in terms of distance or uh, near or close or a kinsfolk relationship. So, a kinsman. It's 27. 27. There we go. Thank you, Brother Tony. It says, and he saith unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, put every man his sword by his side, and go in and out from the gate and slay every man, brother, and man his companion, and every man his neighbor. Ouch, that was the darker context, wasn't it? So it gives the context there. The the kin the kinsman relationship or neighbor. It could have been the person next door to you, could have been your nearest of kin. But they were responsible here for what? but every man is sword by his side and go in and out from the gate and gate throughout the camp and slay every man his brother. That was a pretty intense situation there that they were dealing with as they took care of the idolaters. So think about that in terms of of what we're looking at here. And the New Testament will start to build a better context. Let's look at Acts chapter seven. Acts chapter seven. In verse 23, we'll have a few more verses to read here in building a better context. In verse 23 of chapter 7, it says, And when he was full forty years, it came into his heart to visit his brethren and children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. And the next day he shewed himself unto them as they strove and would have set them out uh, one again, saying, Sirs, you are brethren. Why do you wrong another brother? But he said, uh, "But he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away, saying, Who made thee a ruler and judge over us? Wilt thou kill me as thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? And then Moses fled at his saying and was a stranger in the land of Midian, where he begat two sons. So here we're building the context here of what the term neighbor means. Here in the uh New Testament, in this in the book of Acts, the word is plasion, which means close by or fellow. It means countryman, it means friend or near neighbor. So that's the context that you see in these, in, in 16 different instances that are mentioned when I, that I found in this verse in the New Testament. It all uses this one word rather than one of the three we mentioned in the Old Testament. So, close by or fellow, I want you to keep that in your mind. Let's look at um, Luke chapter 10. We see as we turn over Luke chapter 10 we as we read over there in Acts, he talked about his neighbor. And he talked about, he went and talked to those those people there, the ones that are wrong. He's like, are you going to treat me like you did the Egyptian yesterday? And Moses was like, he, he thought that they should understand that he was going to help deliver them from the Egyptians. But they didn't understand it. And it, he had to leave in order for them to understand it because it gained helped him to gain some understanding. The Lord had to show him some things. But he still had something to do with them even when he went back to Egypt um, to subsequently deliver them. So again, we're going to look at Luke chapter 10 and verse 25 at a different situation here. Starting in verse 25 of chapter 10. It says, And behold, a lawyer stood and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit the kingdom? Excuse me. And he said unto him, "'What it is written in the law, and how readest thou?' And he answered and said, "'Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself.' And he said unto him, "'Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live.' And he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, "And "'Who is my neighbor?' And Jesus answered said, "'A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jer- uh, Jericho,' and fell among thieves, and which stripped him of his raiment, and wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that, that way, and when he saw him, he passed by the other side. And likewise the Levite, when he had, was at his place, came and looked on him, and passed on by the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him and bound up his wounds and pouring oil and wine set him on his own beast and brought him to the inn and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him take care of him and whatsoever thou spendest more when I come again I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was the neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves. And he said he had showed mercy on him. Then he, Jesus said to him, "Go and do thou likewise." So, here we have the parable of the Samaritan that he mentioned. This this teaching here. What was what was he trying to make him understand? Who's your neighbor? Who do you have to deal with? Well, truly. A true neighbor would be concerned with what's going on around him, wouldn't they? So we see a Levite, a priest, pass by and neglected the man there that had been half beaten and dead. And then he sees another companion there pass along the way. And then the Samaritan comes along and takes care of him. Samaritan and the Jews didn't have a good relationship. They were kinsmen of sort. But they didn't have a good relationship. What do you suppose Jesus was trying to teach them there? Takes takes a new turn on what a neighbor actually truly is. A neighbor is someone that is near to us. But don't you think we have that same relationship to do with the people around us? Not just in our community, but those we come into contact with. Absolutely. A Samaritan and Jew weren't necessarily brothers, were they? They were, but they didn't have anything to do with one another. But Jesus' teaching here was to try to get them to understand that how can we show him to other people if we don't live a life that's acceptable? How many people do we pass on a daily basis or we deem unworthy to invest our time in just because of who they are? or because of what they've done. Samaritans were considered beneath Judaism. They were considered beneath it. But yet, it set the picture here that even the person they considered unclean took this man and took care of him. What true concern that he showed there The action there he says, love thy neighbor as thyself. How do we manifest this action towards others? Do we consider ourselves like the scribes and the Pharisees who hold themselves above anyone else but who they have to deal with? That's what the scribes and Pharisees did. And the Sadducees, they put themselves above the people. And they thought it was better for them to hold to themselves. Thinking of what, we, what we've seen and happened of late, we are responsible for those around us. We're responsible for showing them Jesus and showing them the example of how he lived through us. Are we not? That's what the scripture tells us we're to do. Or are we acting like the Levite and the other man that passed along that had no concern? They were more concerned with keeping themselves set apart. Brothers and sisters, our service to God is more than just that. Who are our neighbors but those around us that we come into contact with? We are responsible for showing them Jesus. We talked about earlier in Sunday school about the spirit, the spirit of conviction and the spirit was in the church, right? That's given to us to provide counsel and understanding and wisdom and knowledge so that we can apply what we read and what we study to our lives and better what exemplify Christ. We want to be like Christ. The scripture teaches us to be that way. So if we are like Christ, then we are living our life in a manner with which others we come into contact will see the honor and glory that we show our God and want that same thing through the conviction that the Spirit provides. But we can't do that if we're acting like the Scripture testifies here, this Levite, or we acting like the Samaritan, who had concern for the man on the road to help him. Let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, and verse 43. Let Let's see if I wrote that down right. Again, I think I did the same thing, but that's okay, I'll figure it out. actually. Let's move on to Hebrews chapter 8. Right. I think right. Is it right? Did look. I look? Matthew 543. Matthew 5.43 I was in chapter 6. <laughs> so if my, 5.43 he says Ye have heard that it is said unto them Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself and hate thine enemy.'" But I say unto you, love your enemies and bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans do the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do ye do, uh, do, do more than others? Do not even the publicans do so? But ye therefore are perfect as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Ouch. Jesus here was teaching the disciples. And to me, that's kind of a painful statement there. He says, love your enemies and bless them to curse you. Do them to hate you and pray for them to despise you and persecute you. You mean we have to love our enemies? Yes. It's a commandment from the Lord, isn't it? What benefit would it be if we were mean to our enemies? Would we we wouldn't demonstrate the love of Christ to them, would we? We certainly wouldn't certainly wouldn't attest to the goodness of the Lord if we did that. It wouldn't make us any different than them, would it? But thank the Lord that we are called to a better way. Here he shows us that, and continuing down there, he says, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. So, just as he causes the rain on the just and the unjust, so should we show goodness to our enemies and our brethren alike he says therefore if you love them which love you what reward have you do not even the publicans do the same we're going to show Christ to somebody we we need to show it to all of them all of all of them being those outside those inside why if not we make ourselves hypocrites is that the way we want it to be when the Lord comes back? Absolutely not. Why? Because we want to please our Lord. Or at least I hope He do. He says there, If ye salute your brethren only, what do you more than the others? So the publicans do. But ye therefore be perfect, even as the Father which is in heaven is perfect. Not perfection, not without flaw. Not without sin, but being what? Made complete. That's what perfect is, being made complete. Perfecting our faith is not to be without flaw, but it is to be made complete in Christ. I think sometimes we like to make the scripture harder than it actually is. But if we just read it and look at it, it plainly tells us what we should do. How else can we show Jesus to the rest of the world? Even despite if it means losing our life, we should do it willingly. The scripture tells us that as well. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6. It says, But now he that hath obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is a mediator of a better covenant, which is established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I have made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be of them a God and they shall be my people and they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying know the Lord for all shall know me for the least of these to the greatest for I will be merciful to their their unrighteousness and their sins and iniquity will I remember no more. And that he saith a new covenant he hath made first of old and now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Verse 11 there says, and they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord for all shall know me from least of these to the greatest. What does he mean there? They will not have to teach it according to the law. They'll be able to know it, right? This is the thing that we have that's greatest in the new covenant. is that we have access And that we don't have to teach this law we carried out, but we have the wonderful blessings and the principles and teachings of Christ that we can show others through our life. Proclaiming the gospel is a good thing, but if we live it with our life, that's an even better example to others. Demonstrating the power rather than speaking of the power. You know, we always talk about actions speak louder than words. Well, if we have something to do with our neighbor, those that we are around on a daily basis, and we administer to them the things which the Lord tells us to, not necessarily speaking the words, but demonstrating it to them, then we can win a neighbor. We can demonstrate to them the greatness of God Not only in word, but in deed as well. Let's look at James chapter two, where we'll come to a close. I don't know about y'all, but I consider James one of the hardest books of the Bible because it is the most, most difficult to read because if you if you don't read it and you're not convicted, then there's something might something be wrong there. James chapter 2, we'll read those first nine verses. It says, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come unto our assembly a man with gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit near under my footstool. Are you not then partial of yourselves and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken not, my beloved brethren, hath not God so chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? But be ye, despised of the, uh, ye have despised the poor, do not the rich men oppress you and draw you in therefore before the judgment seat? Do not they blaspheme the worthy name by which you are called? If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if ye have respect to the persons, ye commit sin and are convicted of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law, yet offended one point, he is guilty of all. Ouch. Again. Having respect of persons is what he's talking about here, whether rich or poor. We see that most often. It's still prevalent in our society today. It's projected in ads and in in, in commercials, in newspapers, online. We see that the good looking of society are put forward, right, to, to be the ambassadors. But what does he say here? He says, don't do that. He says, you have more respect for those people that are that are have good clothing, he says, but they're the ones that drag you before the law, before the before the judge there. He tells them to have respect, not of those people, but also of the poor. Why? He says, because hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of the world, rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which hath promised to them that love him? Doesn't mean that we're not to, to love those people that are rich too. That's not the point here. But the point here is not to have preferential treatment one over another. But to have the same regard for both. The point there that he was having was these people were esteeming the rich above the poor because they were, they were the best of society, or they felt. But as we've talked about on numerous occasions, we look back at the scripture in the account of David when he was chosen as king. And Samuel had all of his brothers pass before him. In h 1, he says, Samuel goes, this guy's going to be king. And what did the Lord say? No, you judge the outward appearance of man, but I judge the hearts of men. What does that tell you? Man typically has respect with the outward appearance rather than the inside. But yet relying on the Lord doing good to those who are not at their best, too. They deserve just as much the same treatment as we would treat someone that is of higher status. Lest it give them an opportunity to blaspheme the name of the Lord. So who is our neighbor? Who do we have regard for? and we come into contact with. Do we deem somebody unworthy because of their social status or because of their life? Or do we have res- no respect of their social status or what they're going through or what they've done, but rather seeing an opportunity to minister as the Lord's called us to? That is our duty to our neighbor, and that is who our neighbor is. We have a responsibility as the people of the Lord, to do just that. Do you think Jesus chose social status or look? No, he didn't. He went to the man at the Pool of Bethesda, which we talked about recently. He went to the lepers outside the city. He spoke to those that were considered prostitutes and unclean. He went to the rich, he went to the Pharisees, he went to the the people that were the leaders. He didn't pick and choose who he talked to and who he had to deal with. He dealt with all. Those are our neighbors, the same that Jesus had to do with. I would encourage each and every one of us to look at these scriptures and look at how we interact with others and see if we're doing the self-same thing. takes a bit of introspection to see what we're doing in our lives and comparing it and reconciling it with the life that Christ led. Because all men are worthy to hear the gospel of the Lord, not just a few. It's certainly not about I, it's about we, isn't it? May we go through this week and find opportunities to show others what it means to serve the Lord because our days are going fewer and fewer between that we'll have life left you can see the adversity that we face in this world and what we're enduring right now I would encourage us to find strength in the Lord because it ain't going to get any easier pardon the the misuse of the word I ain't but you know we, we're, it's certainly not going to get any better So we better strengthen ourselves in the Lord and have something uh, good to share with our neighbors that we, we come into contact with. That's all I have for you this morning. Thank you for your kind attention.